Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. When you ask little kids what they want to be when they grow up, how often do you hear the answer, firefighter or fireman? Did any of you listening to this episode want to be a firefighter when you were a kid? Firefighters are society's heroes. Their job requires running toward danger in order to keep others safe. Saving lives, saving homes, saving cats stranded in trees. Saving is what they do best. But who comes to save them? when the burdens they bear after responding to one too many traumatic calls becomes too much. Who takes care of those who take care of all of us? Stay tuned, friends. This episode is dedicated to answering that very question. My city manager, Graham Mitchell, and I were talking a lot about uh, firefighter suicides and how they were increasing. Um, I'm married to a firefighter, so that's very close to me. I also worked for the district attorney's office for nine years, so I worked with law enforcement um, for the first half of my career. That's Marisol Thorne, Director of Human Resources for the city of El Cajon. Around that time, we had a lot of local suicides. Uh, so there's a lot of conversation on the topic. And um, obviously suicides is not a new topic for law enforcement, for fire, for military. But I think it, with social media, it just came more to light. So we started having a lot of conversations about it. And we started looking, breaking down uh, the type of systems that we had in place and kind of like our healthcare system, it seems like everything was reactive. And so in our discussions, we were just casually talking, like how can we provide preventative health? My name is Sunny Madsen and I am a dog trainer. I am the founder of Canine Caring Angels Therapy and Service Dogs, where we train and certify Therapy dogs, so the definition of a therapy dog is a dog that gives and receives affection freely. And those are the dogs that we take out. And those are some of the dogs we have had the honor of training and placing in the fire department. And then we also train and work with service dogs, specifically psychiatric service dogs for military veterans and victims, survivors of human trafficking and military sexual trauma. 
A facility dog is a therapy dog. The difference being it's a therapy dog that's assigned to a specific location or facility. So we gave it because people got a little confused. So we call them the facility dogs, but they have the exact same training of a therapy dog because they are really on all the time. If you have a therapy dog that belongs to a family and they go out and they share that dog at a nursing home or they go out and meet the honor flights at the airport or go to a hospital, there are a couple hours a day that they're working. But a facility dog is a therapy dog that is usually assigned and either lives at, for example, the fire station or is with a firefighter who every time he goes to work, that dog goes with him. So they're on a lot more. They put in a lot more hours and we call them the facility dog. Firefighters see a lot of things that are really hard to deal with and they may not necessarily want to come back and talk about it, but they might need that affection from a dog. And the amazing thing about a therapy dog is they love you unconditionally and they don't tell your secrets. We wanted to provide the service to our employees to keep them healthy. We started doing research. I started trying to get a hold of other fire departments. Um, if you're not in fire, it's, you sometimes hit a wall because I was reaching out to other states because I couldn't find a program similar to what we were thinking of, like with Yara having a dog at the station 24-7. My city manager and I reached out to Travis and to our chief to talk about the concept. I'm Travis Timmons. I'm a fire captain with Heartland Fire Rescue here in El Cajon. I'm the union president for our labor group and also the fire station dog coordinator uh, for the program here with Yara. The first thing was we had to make sure that everyone was going to be on board with this. You know, I'm, I'm a dog person and I've had dogs my entire life. So to me, it was not even a question, but we have 50 some members that obviously need to buy in as well. Um, so the first thing we did was we we surveyed all of our members about the potential idea for this. In this instance, it's it was almost 100% buy-in with it right off the bat. So we knew that the guys were in on it, um, but then the next challenge was coming up with a program and what would work for us, what um, would achieve the, the goal we're trying to do, which is to have a dog at the station for anonymous therapy, something that you don't have to check out like a um, library book, like some other departments do with, you know, someone has a therapy dog, usually a person in leadership who is already, it's already skeptical if guys go to that person to talk about issues they're having. And then on top of that, now they're checking out the dog for the fourth time this week. Like, what's wrong with that person, right? So we needed to make sure that this was a completely anonymous program. So the way to do that is to have a dog here 24 hours a day, seven days a week that everyone has access to. And, you know, if, if you don't want anything to do with the dog, you don't have to. But if you do, then she's always there. We had to set up a committee. Um, so we have a committee of six guys that I worked with or five guys. So six total. Um, and we started coming up with program details and figuring out what would be the best route to go with the program. So we tried to find research on other departments around the country. Well, first we looked local. There was nothing here in San Diego. And then statewide, we found, I, I believe there were four departments. A fifth one was about to get one, and they all had the same trainer um, basically training their dog for them. And it was the trainer we ultimately used, which was, you, you spoke mm -hmm. with her, Sunny Madsen in Virginia. 
So she has a program where she sets up facility dogs for this exact type of program, for a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week station dog. Um, so we started talking to her and looking into that. Travis Timmons from El Cajon Fire Department was the firefighter that originally reached out to us uh, when he was starting the program, and he has been amazing. They were talking about what type of dog, and he had said Black Lab, which, of course, I didn't have. <laughs> uh, so I started looking, and I fell in love with Yara. She's just big, happy puppy with a tongue that was way too big. She couldn't keep it in her mouth, um, and as sweet as could be. So we brought her home. We started doing the training, and I think it was we moved relatively fast, uh, and in part because we wanted to get and now I'm, I'm really happy that we did, but just to get her out there before the end of the year. So she was delivered, I believe, I want to say it was around Halloween. So in, in that period of time, between June and October, she did all of her basic obedience. She got all of her certifications through the AKC. And then she passed our therapy test. And we were able to put her on a plane and take her out there. We met with... Uh, Everyone at the station, everybody went through the training, and it's a big station, and they all came out. Everybody was on board. Everybody understood the policies. Um, I've never had an experience like that with every single person. I've never taught so much basic obedience in three days in my life, um, but they were they were wonderful. Interestingly enough, when we started this, we thought it was a common thing because, you know, you always see Dalmatians at the fire station, the cartoons, but we found out... The very first dog that we ever placed was in 2017 here in Fairfax County, Captain Bess Buck, who deserves a ton of credit because he is really the one that initiated this program. And we placed Wally, the firehouse dog there. And that was when we found out that was the first facility or firehouse dog in the history of the U.S. to actually live at a station specifically for the firefighters. So not just a pet, but a dog that is there to work and, and be trained as a therapy dog. So it's not as common as you would think, but it has become very popular. Wally got a lot of exposure and, you know, firefighters talk. And now we have a lot of our firehouse dogs that we place throughout the United States that have websites and social media is spreading the word. The, the hard part is almost without exception, every time I get a call for someone that wants a firehouse dog, it's because they've lost a team member. Suicide rates with firefighters is an epidemic of its own. And it's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but they're um, they're amazing. And they run into fires all the time. They see a lot of accidents. And those are not things you can unsee. And anything that will help them to alleviate that stress and let them know how important they are, even the love and compassion of a dog, it's worth doing. I mean, it could be anything. It could be a combination of what's going on at home in, and then in addition to a car accident or a child that they couldn't revive or something. That dog will go and stay with that person as long as they can. They've been known to sneak into the bays and sleep with that one person that they've never slept with before, but that night that person needed it. When Yara is around and someone is upset, she can sense that. Um, it's very obvious she will go around to every single person that's in the room and, and look for petting or uh, look to get the ball thrown. But it's very obvious that when there is someone who's maybe not in the greatest mood, she, she will go to them and um, I'll find, I'll look over and you can see that person petting her and they 
more like more often than not don't even know they're petting her as they're talking or as they're sitting there and um, you can see you could almost feel their mood uh, get better <laughs> with her around you don't know what the trigger is going to be you don't know you know some you know violent call might be nothing for one person but horrible for someone else and vice versa some benign little call that we go on all the time may have one thing in the room that that someone sees and and it and it does something you you can't predict that you Mm -hmm. can't there's nothing you can do about that um you know the military for years this this has been studied and 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 push the the, you know mental health for them and rightly so because they see some incredible stuff but it's a little bit harder when it's when it's not something so obvious like what what we kind of do because things aren't happening to us they're happening around us you know with with the military it's very obvious and and again rightly so they they deserve it all but i think the lack of studying for first responders is because of that reason because you know, this isn't happening to us. So it's not as obvious, but a 30 year career of seeing this over and over and over and over and over. Now that they're studying it, they're seeing, obviously there's issues with that. So any little thing we can do, and I don't think she's a little thing. I think this is a huge thing is a, is a positive uh, for the fire service for first responders in general. It's really critical to have this type of program like Yara 24 seven, because our personnel doesn't get to leave the environment. They live in it for 20 to 30 years. And it has to be natural. It has to flow naturally. And that's like Travis said, that was our big thing. That was my big thing of, you know, even in speaking with my husband, it's like when he had calls, like he didn't want to talk to his chief. When I looked at the research, firefighters didn't want to talk to their leadership about anything because they did not want to be the firefighter who can't handle calls and they need to toughen up. Like they didn't want to be that person. Yet 95% of these 7,000 firefighters that were surveyed by the Firefighter Behavioral Alliance um, stated that they were stressed on a daily basis. Yara is a member of our fire department family. She is a family member. So as much as They need her. She needs everybody else. And so I think that's why we're only a year past in, but I think that's why it's been so effective so far. So a day in the life for Yara. Um, Well, I'll give you from my perspective of coming into work. So and all the guys, when we come into work, she's typically sitting at the top of the steps there, uh, ready to greet every single person that comes in um, with her tail wagging. <laughs> so we have a, in the mornings when we come on to, when we come to work, we have our eight o'clock morning muster, we call it. And it's, it's, we all, there's 10 of us usually at the station and we sit down and have the plan for the day. So she knows we're all coming up there in the morning. So she sits there and waits for everyone, tail wagging. Between 10 people, she probably goes and runs around and gets played with five, six, seven times a day, uh, chasing balls and going on runs uh, when we're working out and that sort of thing. So, And other than that, she's just part of the crew all day long. So if we're doing training in-house, we'll have her outside with us um, you know, on, on a long leash for safety, but she's with us doing our training and um, 
If we go on calls, then she goes into her crate. That's part of her training. She knows to go right to her crate. Um, and when we get back, we let her out, and she's right back in with the crew again. And uh, she does it all over again the next day. So typically once a week or more, one of the guys on the committee will take her out, and we go hike with her. We go on dog play dates, or we do continuous, continuous education training with her on all her obedience. We have a, a local branch for the uh, obedience training here in, the, in San Diego that we um, keep her up on our training um, with other dogs. So she gets out. She has a great life. She was fantastic through the training. Um, she was also, she proved herself to be a very intelligent dog. So she took to the training really well. And she has this adorable thing that she does where she cocks her head and her tongue falls out. And she is so dark and her tongue is so light pink. It always made me laugh. The thing that I noticed that will always stand out to me is when we're doing the training, of course, part of that will be exposing them to a fire department. And I've had dogs that when it comes down to it, that's just not their favorite place to be between the smells, the uh, the different, the breathing apparatuses, the, the sirens, all kinds of things that they're just not comfortable with. And it's going to get worse rather than better. But when I pulled up to the fire department with Yara, we went to the fire department in Prince William and her head perked up. She tilted her head. Her tongue fell out. She was so excited to be there. And the very first firefighter that she met was walking to the car. She couldn't contain herself. She was so excited. So he turned around, took us all back into the fire department, and she she was in heaven. And I thought, yep, she's going to do just fine. <laughs> the Alcohol Fire Department, they have gone above and beyond. They've done everything right. And they... No one passes the buck. Everyone takes responsibility. I was really impressed with the dedication. And that's huge to me because everybody wants a dog. But a dog is a dog is work. There is re, we train the dogs when they're placed, but we require ongoing training, ongoing certifications. And we need to know that that dog doesn't, um, the first time it makes a mistake, it's not in trouble. And we train through it. And uh, Travis and his whole team have been amazing about that. Our testing just to give you an idea of what we expect from our dogs. The day they test, we can't use any inducement at all. So no toys, no treats, no clickers, no nothing. We have to make sure the dog can do the task without any type of inducement. And they start off at a nursing home. We do a lot of basic obedience outside first, meet and greets, uh, sitting politely for petting, a seven minute sit or down where we drop the leash and walk away and they have to sit there uh, around other dogs. Uh, we do doggy push-ups. We then we take them inside. They get to meet the members of the assisted living in wheelchairs. Normally, from there, we will go back to uh, the memory ward for Alzheimer patients. And just that first location can be extremely emotional because all dogs that are certified are certified with their handler. So if their handler is not up to par, they don't get certified. If they're rude or they're disrespectful, or we catch them giving them treats. They, they've hit, they got to start over um, at a different time. They'll fail that test and they'll have to start over. But once they go through uh, the nursing home, then normally we will head over to a local library, go into a children's reading program. All the dogs are taught simple things like vest etiquette, how to behave when they're wearing their therapy vest versus when it's off. Um, they're never allowed to eliminate or jump or take treats or food when they're wearing their vest. 
They have to sit politely at each door and entrance before they go through, so they can't drag someone through. And they don't have the right-of-way, so they have to wait for everybody else to do their thing before they're allowed to go forward. Then we go into the children's reading program, and then from there, we go to the fire department. So there they will do what we call running the gauntlet, which is the best way to describe it is if you can picture a row of 10 people and 10 dogs, and then about six feet in front of them is another row of 10 feet and 10 dogs. And Yara would be up there all by herself. And her handler would be on the opposite end of this tunnel of dogs and people. We count off one, two, three. And when we say three, everybody gets to make as much noise, um, stomping their feet. Dogs can bark everything. And she's not allowed to move until her handler calls her to him. And then when she does, she has to come straight through, sit down in front of him politely. So we call that running the gauntlet. We do a little bit of first aid, um, a couple of other exercises. They get to walk up and meet a firefighter, sit politely while they are um, they're in their fireman's uniform with their apparatus. They will go outside and we do have the dogs line up against a fence and they have to sit politely. And then the fire trucks will come by and turn on their sirens. And I'm always very proud of them because everyone who drives the truck goes, you know, it's going to be really loud. I go, it's okay. It's going to be really loud. I know. And then they'll go around and usually they look at me like, what just happened? Because all the dogs sit politely. Nobody gets excited. Uh, and then we leave there and we'll go to uh, the local mall. Fair Oaks Mall here in Fairfax, Virginia has been absolutely amazing to us. They always welcome us in for our training. So we can march in there with 20 dogs. We've been in there with as many as 40 dogs. If we have dogs that are actually retesting or recertifying as well, we always have them meet us at the mall. We will go in and we do stair exercises. We do door exercises. We will go into the elevators up and down. So therapy dogs are last on, last off. And I'm looking for not just the dogs, but how the handlers are handling it. Because by that time, it's probably been about six or seven hours and everyone's getting tired. So I need to know the dogs can behave even when they're tired. Then we will finish them all by going up and down escalators. And we don't give up that exercise until everybody has passed that because that's what everyone always worries about is the escalators. And from there, we go to a restaurant. That's how we finish our day. That's how we hand out our certifications and our IDs. But the dogs have to go underneath the table and they have to stay there the entire time that we have a meal. And I have actually had waitresses that have delivered the water, then come back and went, oh, there's dogs here. And that's what I want to hear. So if they can pass that day and they've done everything up to that point, then they are a canine carrying angels therapy dog. The public typically will think of a spire station dog as a Dalmatian and um, they have that idea of the, the symbol of the dog at the station but really don't have any idea um, of what they do. I, I would like to think that we are trying to change that Dalmatian idea that the public has into maybe a new age dog at the station idea that they can understand that this is something that is beneficial for the mental health of first responders and maybe maybe not completely get rid of the idea of Dalmatians, but instead of 
when someone asks why Dalmatian, oh, they, well, they, they cleaned up rodents and they protected horses. Now it's, well, why are their dogs at the station? And it's for the mental health of firefighters. Um, because I don't think people really realize, you know, what, what it is that firefighters see and caught and police and EMTs and paramedics see on a daily basis. And even though we can go months without having what one would consider a critical call, um, we could also go a week of every day having critical call. And then you compound that over a 30 year career. So this is just one way to maybe defuse that, um, built up, um, stress that comes along with it. The public glorifies firefighters. It's a glamorous profession, right? Well-respected. Um, they don't see the other side of it. They don't see our personnel break down. They don't see our personnel take that home. They don't see their personalities change over time. And so I think the public needs to be more educated about that. And it's not a plea for like, you should feel sorry for firefighters. And I, I say this with the utmost respect. Our first responders make a choice, just like our police officers, to put others before themselves. And I think for that, the public needs to acknowledge that we're not meant to build trauma and that we have to, if we want to be taken care of, that we have to take care of those that are serving us. From a policy and budgetary standpoint, it's a very nominal cost. I know there's a lot of what ifs, there's a lot of city managers, a lot of governing boards who just think it's a liability. We've probably spent ten, twelve thousand dollars initially with Yara and we have an ongoing budget that's not any more than that. But that outweighs the cost of us not being proactive. When we have a stress claim, one that we had recently that we've been incurring treatment on one of our first responders, we're in over $100,000. So when you think about it from the public's perspective, we get paid by taxpayer money. So why would you not invest $10,000, $15,000 to be proactive, to keep those that serve you healthy so that they can provide those services. I mean, the last thing you want is to have someone respond to a call and whatever reason there was a trigger and they break down and they can't do their job. So why not invest? And um, one of the things from an HR standpoint, I know when I brought this up regionally, I had a lot of eye rolls, very cynical comments. Um, and I just felt like, but why? There was really no reason. It was, I think sometimes, um, and this might be an unpopular statement, but I think sometimes as, as administrators, as, as HR personnel, we get jaded, we get cynical with, oh, firefighters and police officers want it all. And it's like, wait a minute, get out of that mentality employees are your biggest assets. Why not take care of them? And if you can just get over that, get over the what ifs, get over the potential liability and look at the benefits of this small investment. And for once, not being the one in charge and telling people what to do, but actually letting those who are impacted take on the role of making a program successful. Why not? So that for, for me, it's really a of a policy, financial, and really public service 
you know, they need to be educated on all the benefits of why everyone should have a Yara in their station. found out that Yara would be coming here, I was thrilled. Um, I, I knew that she would bring joy and happiness to everybody, um, especially after rough calls. And uh, when we walk in in the mornings, it's just hard not to smile and she makes your day as soon as you walk in the door. Yara's had a tremendous impact on the department, um, for positive impact. Uh, she's, like I said, she makes everybody smile. She's, it's hard to walk into the room and not be happy. She lights up as soon as you walk into the room. Listeners, if you know of a fire station or other agency that could use a facility dog, you can find Travis's contact information in the show notes, as well as how to reach Sunny Madsen of Canine Caring Angels. You can see the photographs I took of Yara on the Hero Beside Me Photography Project page, where you can also sign up for the newsletter at herobeside.me. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to it, giving it a positive rating and review, and sharing it with your friends. As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to give some love to the furry hero beside you today.